Amen. It's good to be in the house of God on Sunday night, saved and, and getting in our right mind. If you ain't in your right mind, you can be in your right mind by the time you leave here tonight. Hallelujah. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope you brought your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Tonight we're going to read one of the most beautiful stories of the Bible, a story that many of you I'm sure are extremely familiar with. It's the story of the woman with the alabaster flask. It's a story that reveals a woman's sacrifice. It reveals her passion, reveals her insight and revelation, I believe. And also at the reading of this story, that many of you, you know that it also reveals the contempt and disdain from others that were looking on as she brought this sacrifice to Jesus. And I might interject right here that you'll find that whenever you decide to really do something for God, maybe you've only, only come to one service a week and you decide to go to all the services, you'll find people aren't very happy about that. You'll always find somebody that has something to say if you make up your mind that you're going to give uh, your offering and pay your tithe. You'll always find people that aren't happy. I remember when I first got saved, I lived most of my life um, absolutely insane, <clears throat> involved in all kinds of stuff, smoking all kinds of stuff, involved with some psychotic people that were crazy just like me. And I remember when I got saved, my mom sent my brother to spy on me. I found this out later. I remember calling her and I said, Mom, you know, I got saved. And she was like, mm. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, mm. And she said, oh, really, is that right? And I said, yes, ma'am. I said, I got saved, gave my life to Jesus. Now, I've been smoking, drinking, fighting, locked up. And now I'm not cussing anymore. I'm not doing all them crazy things. And she sent my brother out. My brother didn't usually come out to see me that often, but he came out. And I found out later that uh, she sent him to spy out. Because she said, baby, you got to be careful. You know, there's a lot of cults going around and a lot of people. You need to be careful. I don't know about this church and all these things. And I found out that um, a lot of times when you decide that you're going to go for Jesus, everybody ain't real happy about that. And even there's sometimes people even in church that ain't real happy about that. When you maybe have been going to church and you find a side, hey, you know something, I'm going to quit playing games for Jesus and I'm going to give him my life. You'll find that there's people even around you that mock you and make fun of you. It might even be your husband or your wife. Now, I'm not going to start no fights here tonight. I hope not, but sometimes you'll find that. I want us to read this story about this woman that came doing what she could out of Mark chapter 14, verse number 3. It says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. <coughs> Excuse me, but there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whatever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not always have. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial unto her. 
Could we pray this evening and ask the Lord to help us? God, we thank you for all that you've done, your wonder, your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. I ask you, Lord, tonight to visit us. God, we don't come this evening out of our own strength and our own wit or intellect, but we desperately need a visitation from heaven, an overflow of your grace. God, that you would move us from the place that we're at to the place where you desperately need us to be. We bind fear. We come against every excuse and every hindrance. And I pray for breakthrough tonight. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I want to preach this evening a message that I've entitled, Have You Done What You Could? And I want to look first and talk about this woman and what she had. Now, I have to confess that most of the time that I have used this scripture, it has been in the context of taking offering. And most of you, you've heard the scripture in the context of offering. We, you know, will take this scripture, and many commentators believe that this woman's offering was worth more than a year's wages, and we use that to sometimes touch people's hearts, and they begin to think, of how about how much they make a year? But folks, I don't want you to cheapen the beauty of the story by looking at it simply in the context of money. Because you find many times that if you ever have something that's very precious to you and you begin to share with someone about maybe something that you have and they always want to know how much it cost. They see your shoes. How much were they? They see your dress. How much was it? They see your car. How much you get it for? And they always want to know how much it is. And I know that, you know, I've, I've talked to people, you know, you're sharing with them from, their, from your heart about the things God has spoke to you, and you're just sharing with them, and, and, and you, your eyes are getting all watery while you're speaking to them what heaven has spoke to you. You find sometimes people aren't even paying attention to you. You know, you're sitting around in fellowship, and you're just you know, overflowing what heaven has spoke to you. They ain't even listening to you. They got salsa and chips, man, and they're, you know, noise and all music going on. They're not even listening to a word that you say. You know, and, and I found something out, and maybe you found it out earlier, but I didn't. But I found out that the things that are precious to me aren't necessarily precious to you. And the things that are precious to you aren't necessarily precious to me. Here we have a woman that brought a gift, and this gift contained her dreams, her aspirations, her desires. Everything that she was and everything that she ever desired to be was wrapped up in this offering and this gift that she brought to the Lord. And what I find really amazing is that Jesus never even said how much this offering was worth. It was a flask. It represented everything that she had. And we never really know how much the offering was worth. So I don't want us to cheapen the beauty of the story by looking at it simply in the context of money because the truth and reality of life is that you can always make more money, but you can't always purchase more dreams. You can always get more money, but you can't go out and buy more destiny in the kingdom of God. And here we have a woman who simply, the scripture tells us, did what she could with what she had. See, one of the difficulties of life is that we spend a lot of time talking about things we don't have, places we don't live, with people we don't know. And that is one major strain in the kingdom of God. We're always talking about money that we don't have. Like Pastor said this morning, we, we get wrapped up, man, if I had 10 million bucks, 
Well, you don't have 10 million bucks, so quit talking about it. Man, if I was just a little bit smarter, man, if I just lived over here, man, if I just would have done better in school, if I just would have done that and would have done this. But see, folks, don't spend your whole life talking about things you don't have, places you don't live at, gifting you don't possess. All you have is what you have. I wish I could preach here tonight. I said all you have is what you have. See, I believe that the thing that is going to judge us, brothers and sisters, is not what you don't have. The issue is going to be, have you done the best you can with what you have in your possession? That is going to be the thing that is going to go before us. The Bible says in James 4, verse number 17, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him that is sin. I believe that is going to be the separation of the sheep and the goat. That is going to be the separation, dear friends, of the wheat and the tare. People that come to church and they hear message after message, conference after conference, and sermon after sermon, and they have uh, in their own heart said, I'm only going to do what I want to do, not what I can do. There's things in the ability of every person in this congregation, something that the Lord has ordained from heaven for you to do, and you are going to be responsible for those things. We know the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan that we have labeled him. Now, I don't believe the good Samaritan left his home that day trying to be good. Can I get a couple of witnesses? He didn't leave the house that day, man, you know, but I'm just going to try to be good. But we know the story. He is going down the road to Jericho. There's a few characters involved in this story, a priest, the Levite, and Samaritan. And many of you know the story. I won't belabor you with it. There's a man who falls among thieves, and they beat him, and they leave him for dead. And the Bible tells that the priest and a Levite, they come down the road. They see the plight of this man. And they crossed over on the other side and did not respond to the needs of this man. And the scripture tells us that here comes a Samaritan. And we know that Jews hated Samaritans. And he sees the plight of this Jewish man. And the scripture tells us that he goes to this Jewish man and that he poured on oil and wine and that he bandaged the wounds of this man and he put this man on his own animal and he took this man to an inn and he paid the innkeeper and he said if there's any more that's needed at my coming I will pay you. And I begin to ask myself folks listen you don't need a a, a commentary to figure this one out. Why did the Samaritan help the Jew? Now, you don't have to get real deep to pull this one out. The reason why he helped the Jewish man who was in desperation is simply he pulled from his own resources. He simply did what he could do. And all that the Lord is asking you and I to do is to do the best you can do with what you've got. Many of you know the story of the, uh, uh, the, the servants and the master. And at the leaving of the, this master, he deposited his talents with these servants. How I many of you remember the story? To one he gave five, and to one he gave two, and to another he gave one. And the scripture tells us that the servant that had five made ten. The servant that had two made four. But we find something very revealing about this servant that had one talent. He took his Lord's talent, 
he went and dug a hole and hid his Lord's talent in the ground. And the master came back to settle accounts. How many know Jesus is coming back to settle accounts? Oh, some of you believe it. I said Jesus is coming back to settle accounts. He's going to see what you and I have done with what we have. And he came back and he began to deal with this servant that had one. And what this servant said is so frightening. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Mm-mm. I said, somebody better say, mm-mm. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. Now, I want you to be able to read between the lines. What he's basically saying is, Master, it's not my fault that I'm a hole digger. <laughs> oh, I wish I could preach to a couple of people here tonight. He said, it's not my fault that I'm not doing anything. It's your fault. Oh, my, 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 my. He said, it's not my fault that I'm sitting in church not doing anything. <laughs> it's your fault. Because if you would have given me more, I would have done more. If you would have put me in another location, then I would have done more. Can I tell you, this, this servant had some attitude issues. He had a real problem with his perspective of the way that he viewed his gifting and the master. See, some of you are sitting here right now, and you're saying, man, I would do so much more if I were just at a different church. I don't think so. Man, whew. Man, if I was just at so-and-so church, man, because they've got a lot of ministries down there. No, you wouldn't. All you, dig, all you do is dig a hole there. Man, if I had more talent and more ability, man, I'd be, woo, I'd be on fire. No, you wouldn't. All you do is dig a bigger hole to hide all your stuff in because you've got an issue with the way you view what you have and the way you view your master. See, all of these servants had opportunity to do what they could. Was it more than what the master of the servants required? Absolutely not. Is God here this evening asking from you more than what you can do? Of course not. He's asking for you to simply do what you can with what you've got. And the Lord basically is saying to this servant, you could have done much more and you should have done much more. I believe at the end of each life, the tallies are going to go for it. And heaven is going to compare what you've given versus what you've kept. He's going to compare what you've given of yourself versus what you have kept back. And all that's going to matter is have we done what we could. I believe that God always compares a gift to the reserve. Jesus looked at this woman, and he said, look at this woman who did what she could. Look at this woman that has done the be best that she could. See, the issue with God will never be what you don't have. I want every person to get with me on this. We got to get on the same page before we turn the next page. Don't sit here tonight 
and be so engulfed and raptured up in what you don't have. That is the struggle of the church. we got too many people sitting around comparing what they've got to somebody else and ain't using what they got. And with God, he's concerned about what you have. I ask myself, God, what, God, what do you want from me? God says, Stacy, you know, all I want for you to do is the best that you can with what you've got. And there is a big difference between doing what you like to do versus doing what you could do. Can I say that again? There's a big difference between doing what you like to do. See, the church is full of people. Who say, I'm only going to do what I like to do. Well, nobody cares about what you like. All that matters is, are you doing what you could do with what you have? Secondly, I want to talk about this woman's consideration. Jesus made mention of her consideration. And can I tell you that consideration is very difficult to find in this hour that we live in. People aren't very considerate these days. Kids aren't considerate. Parents Husbands aren't considered of wives. Wives aren't considered of husbands. And, and most people aren't considered about Jesus at all. But Jesus made mention of her consideration. And I want you to understand, it's not some sloppy, you know, goofy kind of thing that he's making consideration of. He makes mention, firstly, of her consideration of eternity. He said these words of her. He said, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Now listen to me very closely. Most of us, we live our lives in hindsight, meaning opportunity passes us by, and then we look back at it, and we look back at it and regret like, man, whew, I wish I would have seen that. Huh? And we do it every year, folks. We get to our end of the year, you know, we get ready to have the Christmas Eve Big old party that we have every year. We all get together and we're going to celebrate the new year. I got to be honest, folks. I get real with you guys. I know I haven't seen you guys in 10 years, but let's just, let's reconnect. <laughs> Most of the time when we get together for these new year things, I have to be honest, it's not real happy for me because I look at my life and I look back at the past year and I see how I farted around most of the year. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, Stacy, what have you been doing? We look back and we remember all the promises that we made about how on fire we were going to be. And in the whole year, we just mess around. The whole year. Now we're at the end of the year, coming upon a new year like we just passed. Folks, do you know that the first quarter of the year is over? And we made promises on the beginning of the year. Oh, God, you know something, man? I'm going to go for it, man. I'm going to get involved. I know. I recognize that 2006, I was messing around. But 2007, man, I'm going to be bang, bang, bang. I'm going to be going for it. And here it is, the fourth month of the year. And if some of you be real, you're seeing the same thing manifest all over again. You're sitting here and you're thinking, have I been here before? <laughs> Something looks really <laughs> oddly familiar about this place that I'm at. You know why? Because you've been here before. Opportunities passing you by. It's kind of like offering. You know the church is an odd place. The church is one of the few places that people come and aren't prepared. People prepare for everything else 
but come in the church. No, people don't even bring money to church. And folks, you know, most of the time, can I, can I get real with you guys? Most of the time it's not because, you know, Americans don't have money. Most Americans have money. So I live in third world countries where they don't have any money. Most Americans have money, but it's the strangest thing. People have money to go to Walmart. They prepare for that. They prepare for all kinds of shopping and all kinds of endeavors and things. That get all kinds of money ready. Got, you know, you got money over in this pot because you want to make sure this is for Mervyn's. I can do my Mervyn's money. And you got over here, you got all kinds of preparations. When it comes to church, people, it amazes me. People come broke, and then they get here, and then when the offering comes, they act like they're surprised. <laughs> Somebody help me here this evening. You know, the offering plate comes around. Listen, folks, the truth of it is, it doesn't matter how anointed pastor's offering is if you didn't prepare to bring any money. You can sit here, oh, my gosh, I'm so convicted. Oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do myself. Oh, God, stop, pastor, stop, stop. I can't take it no more. I'm so convicted. See, it doesn't matter how convicted you are if you didn't bring no money. Somebody help me here tonight. Don't matter how convicted you are, man. Oh, my gosh, man. I, yeah, I wish I would have brought some money. Yeah, heaven does too. Because you didn't make any preparation. And the offering just, whew, and that was your chance. Just like opportunities in the body of Christ, just like this offering, it passed by, folks, and it never returned. And I can imagine all the people that were there, and she's the only one that got it. And Jesus said, listen, here goes a woman who's not going to look back and regret and say, man, I wish. Listen, folks, I don't think that she just had this offering just sitting in her pocket with no contemplation. Listen, Jesus doesn't want you to live your whole life and your whole Christian life shooting off the hip. You'll be really disappointed if you live your whole Christian life just shooting off the hip and everything, no contemplation and no prayer and no deliberation. God wants you to pray about some stuff. And let heaven speak to you. And I believe that heaven spoke to this woman and that she was prepared to give this offering. And we know she was prepared because she gave it. Secondly, she considered her king. Says she has done a good work for me. See, folks, Jesus must have preeminence in our lives. That means he can't be number three. Come on, somebody. He can't be number two. Oh, I wish I could get somebody to agree with me. He can't be number four. See, one of the problems is that Jesus falls among the ranks of so many other things that we're doing. We got recreation. We got jobs. We've got careers. We've got husbands. We've got wives. We've got families. And somewhere along the long list of things that we got going, we'll plug in King Jesus. And out of the same breath, we'll say, man, he's everything. Here's a woman, and Jesus said, listen, she has done this for me. It is not about any of you guys. It is about me. She recognized King Jesus. And I need to ask you, does Jesus still have preeminence in your life? Is he still number one, or has your career taken over, family taken over, marriage taken over? What I love about my wife, she loves Jesus more than me. Hallelujah. 
If you're even thinking about dating somebody and they love you more than they love Jesus, you better run. People make me nervous when they talk, start talking about, you know, they're dating somebody like, you're my world. Mm. <laughs> what did you say? You're my world and you're my everything? Listen, take it from brother here this evening. People start talking crazy like that, you better reevaluate the relationship. What I love about my wife, she told me a long time ago, she said, listen, if you decide to get crazy and backslide, you'll go to hell by yourself. I said, yeah, I can stay with this girl. Because she loves Jesus more than she loves me. Thirdly, this woman considered timing. Timing is everything in the kingdom. And Jesus says, for the poor you have always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me, you do not have always. There are windows of opportunity in which you can capture the will of God for your life. Listen to me. Folks, one of the, you know, we have a difficult time functioning in the season of life that we're in. You have young people who want to be old. Old people want to be young. That's, that's the weird thing, man. You, got, you know, I'm, I'm middle-aged. I think I'm middle-aged. Yeah, 40s middle-aged, huh? 45, 45, 45 is middle-aged. And uh, so I'm not quite there yet. But uh, you're 50. Come on. You're 50s middle-aged. I haven't got there yet. But, uh, no, you got young people who they're just itching to be grown. They're like, man, I can't wait to get out of my mama's house. She get on my nerves all up my business. Well, you know what? You better just slow down a little bit. You better be, you better be young as long as you can be young. Enjoy mom and dad paying the bills. Enjoy it because your day's coming, sweetie. Enjoy mom and dad feeling all the pressure. The problem is that so many times we're so busy being disgruntled and dissatisfied in the season of life that we're in that we don't even function fully in that season. Have young people that are so busy trying to be grown that by the time that they figure out that it would have been nice being young, now they're old. And you have older people that wish they were young. And they don't function in the season of time that they're in. All you've got is the season of time that you're in. See, folks, when we pass over from this life to the next, there's not going to be this time of anointing Jesus with all the stuff that you decided not to do. Like, you know, we're going to stand for Jesus and all the stuff that we held back. We're going to be able to go to heaven and say, Jesus, you know, I know that I held all this back from you, but now I just want to give it all to you. Heaven's going to testify. Heaven is going to testify against us, either on our behalf or against us of the things that we consecrated to God. And there will be no unsurrendered lives. Let me tell you, if you don't want to surrender your life here, then you're not going to surrender your life later. If you're sitting here in church week in and week out and you've just not decided that you're going to get saved, then there's not going to be any time once you pass from this life to the next one in order to anoint Jesus with your life. There's no use in heaven for partially used destiny. 
There's no place in heaven for unused talent and gifting. If you don't operate and function and use it in the window of opportunity that you have right now, the season that you have right now, you may not ever get another opportunity. See, folks, all I've got is I'm 40 now. I better do good at 40 because I might not get 41. Talk to me, somebody. All you've got, young people, listen to me. All you've got is right now. Some of you are sitting here thinking, man, when I get brother Stacy, I know he's that old, but man, when I get old like him, you might not make it old like me. I want to ask you, man, I'm having a good time in this church. It ain't because I got a latte before church, man. I'm just having a good time. I want to ask you, have you done what you could? Not what you like to do. But have you done what you could? You know, Jesus paid this woman the most wonderful compliment that I have ever heard. Now, folks, you, you've got to grasp the magnitude of it, or you, you'll really miss it. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world. Because some of y'all missed it. you just sitting there like. Yeah, because we didn't heard it so many times. Like, where the gospel is preached in the whole world. With this one. I heard it before, brother. Said, no, listen, folks, get this. This is big-time stuff. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial. Listen, folks, we read this in hindsight. And many times we miss it. Folks, it's not like they sent out interviewers for the Bible, you know what I'm saying? and, And they're interviewing people. Getting some energy, they're gonna put the Bible together, you know what I'm saying? They're going out interviewing them. Hi, sis. Um, we're taking interviews for uh, the Bible. We've never wrote one before, but uh, we're putting together a Bible. It's gonna have an Old Testament and a New Testament, and uh, no one's ever heard of it before. And uh, we're just out getting some interviews, and, and uh, just wanna ask you, is there anything great you can do? Sister's sitting there, and she's like, oh, oh my gosh. I totally forgot. Just totally forgot, but I have this alabaster flask, a very costly oil of spikenard. And the interviewer's like, wow, wow. And her sister says, you know what I'm going to do? When Jesus is there with all of his disciples, I'm going to bust into the room and I'm going, ah, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm going to fall down and I'm going to break the flask. And I'm going to begin to pour it on, the, uh, on Jesus and anoint him and wipe his feet with my hair. And, and, and the interview is like, wow, man, that's big time. That's going to get you in a few of the books. See, folks, because the truth is, if, if, if somebody really came here and told you that they'd be talking about you forever, it wouldn't be any room up here for people just, just laying it down, <laughs> laying it down for the gospel. I'm laying it down, everything. Come on, let's get real here tonight. If you ain't been real any time in your life, you need to get real tonight. If someone told you beforehand, man, if you bring it like this, man, they're going to be talking about you forever. Folks, do you know how much? We can't even fathom how many offerings that have been taken 
off of this woman's gift, and we don't even know how much it was. Churches have been planted. Souls have been saved. Missionaries have been sent. And we don't even know how much the offering is worth. Now, if somebody told you, let's not even say the whole world. Let's just say the fellowship. They told you, you know, if you lay it all down, man, Pastor Mitchell, he'll have you flying all over the fellowship. <laughs> You'd be up in Menville Conference. You walk in, they'd be like, Sit. you're whispering, yeah, that's so-and-so. They, they gave that big offering. And you, a Prescott Conference. They've got you up in front of the tent. Everybody knows you, and they fly you over to Pastor Warner's conference in Tucson. Pastor Campbell flies you down. Pastor Ruby brings you over. Pastor Campbell has you. You're just all over the world. Come see the person who did what they could. But nobody told her it was going to go down like this. And to the contrary, she walked into a lion's den. She comes in there, and there's all these people there, and she's coming just doing what she could. Got all these people looking around like, I know she didn't step up in here. Come on, somebody. They're looking at her like, no, she didn't doing all that crying. You save all that crying, girl. Talk to me, somebody. You save all that because that's how people are. You're trying to lift your hands. You're trying to give your best. And people are like, stop, 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 stop. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. You did that before. You did that last year. Stop. Because that's the way just people are. What I, what I love about this woman is she didn't say anything. See, some of you got to learn something here. You got to stop trying to protect yourself all the time. See, folks, I learned something. I learned something. Maybe you, you, can, you can learn something. I don't have to explain to you anything. Amen. I don't have to stand up here today and try, well, you know, the reason why I, you know, decide to give my life to God and, 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 and be a preacher is just because, you know, I don't got to explain it to you. Forget you. <laughs> this, ain't got, this has nothing to do with you. Oh, somebody help me. It has, and I know that might mess you up. But it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And if you're ever going to do anything for God, you better learn something. You better take your eyes off people because they'll mess you up. You're coming trying to bring your gift to God. You always got somebody looking around. That ain't worth that much. Listen. It may not be priceless to you, but it's all that I've got. It may not be anything to you, but all Stacy has is what Stacy has. And I've learned a long time ago, I'm going to take my eyes off of people. And I'm going to focus on my king. And some of you will find, because when you begin to let people stare you down, they'll polarize you. And you get so engulfed in what people are saying and what they're doing that you won't even bring your best to God. See, there's some people here this evening that heaven wants so much more out of you. And you have so much more to offer. But every time you get ready to come bring your best, you're always looking around trying to explain to people who can't comprehend it. Trying to explain to your unsaved family who ain't got a clue. 
They don't even understand that they need to get saved yet. And you're, and you're sitting around with them, you know, on Sunday evenings. They're like, I, I don't believe you need to keep going down to that church all the time, you know, both times on Sunday. What they're trying to do to you. And you're sitting around over Sunday dinner trying to explain to them heathens. They can't even make up their mind whether they want to go to heaven or hell. And they're trying to talk to you about destiny. Come on, somebody. They're trying to talk to you about destiny, and they're ready to bust hell wide open. And you let them polarize you? Thank you, bro. Thank you. <laughs> she wasn't looking for the spotlight. I'm closing. Give me two preachers minutes. No, five, five. Her focus was on her king. What I love about it is she never said a word. Jesus spoke for her. Jesus spoke on her behalf. Well, I, I look, she never said a word. Je, Jesus said. Jesus said, can I give you a Stacey Dillard translation? Jesus said, shut up. <laughs> Talking about poor folks. He says, you're always going to have poor people. Come on. Son. And we still got some poor folks. Talk to me, somebody. <laughs> Jesus said, Listen. You're talking about poor people. You're always going to have poor people. Whenever you wish, you can do them good, but you're not always going to have me, and this is the only woman that has got it, so leave her alone. Don't mess with her. I'm thinking, man, I'm thinking, where's all the other gifts? You, you would have thought all the disciples hanging around. that Man, it would have been gifts everywhere for King Jesus, man, because it's going down. She's the only one. I was um, the gas station filling up. There's a <laughs> white dude at the gas station. He was like a um, a black dude trapped in a white dude's body. <laughs> if you ever, if you ever seen a guy like that, I don't know that. I'm sure they got a few out here in Seattle. But he was like, he was like, he was like, a, he was more black than me. And so I'm watching him, you know, I'm, I'm pumping my, my gas, and, and I'm watching him, man. He, you know, he's got his long chain on, shorts, but he's like. And so he, he, he runs over to my car. He's like, what's up? What's up, player? What's up? What's up, player? And uh, I'm tripping out on this guy. And uh, he, says, uh, he says, man, you like cologne? I said, yeah, man, I like cologne. Man. I, I, I love cologne. And so he's like, man, man he's, I got cologne, player. See, I got Hugo Boss. I got Izzy Miyaki, player. He's running them all down, man. Ralph Lauren. So I'm, you know, I used to be, a, I used to be a crook. So I want to try to find out where he got this stuff from. <laughs> so I said, man, where'd you get all this cologne from? Walk over to his car. He pops the trunk. He's got like cases, and um, he works for this company that they do expos, cologne expos. And make the story short, they, they. They can get rid of all this stuff once they finish. So he's trying to make him a little bit of money on the side uh, after they've given this stuff to him. So he's got these huge bottles of cologne. For, I'm talking about big, 100 mil, you know, big old bottles of cologne. He sold me eight bottles for 40 bucks. He hooked the player up, you know what I'm saying? And so he, <laughs> he gave me eight bottles. That cologne will hurt you. 
I found out later. <laughs> That's what I call my, my gas station cologne. You got to be very, very careful with it. It'll burn you bad. It's what, it's what I call my pre-funk cologne. It's what I put on when I'm getting ready to go to the gym. And when I'm getting ready to go to the gym, I just spray it everywhere, spray it on the dog, spray it everywhere. I leave it in the garage because I don't really care about that cologne. I really don't. I don't really care about that cologne, you know. Got it for cheap, cheap price. Cheap cologne. It really is cheap cologne as far as I'm concerned. My wife, she has uh, perfume. And, and maybe some of you ladies, you have perfume. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the little bitty bottles. And uh, you know what I'm talking about, you know, ladies. So. She's had this perfume. I've been married, it'll be 17 years actually coming up. And um, she's had some of this stuff ever since we got married. I always trip out on her. She gets this little perfume and she, she puts it on me. And she's got like this. And she's like, I'm just, I'm just tripping out. I'm watching her. So what are you doing? She said, this stuff's expensive. And she said, you don't just be dumping this stuff. I should put a little bit on. Put a little bit on. Well, I should put some here. And, you know, I'm just, I, I don't, I'm not used to that. After 17 years, you think I got, I'm not used to that. She's just a little bitty drop, and it's all, she's still got the, all the little bottles all lined up, man. I'm always knocking them over. She's like, ah! and she, little bitty bottles. She's like, you got to be careful. You know, a lot of people, we treat Jesus just like my wife's perfume. We got our expensive stuff called life. And we only take out a couple of drops every once in a while. Now you get convicted. Like during sermons like this, you're all convicted. You're like, Jesus, I'm so convicted. I feel bad. I haven't been giving you the best that I can. And you just take the lid off and you just take off a couple of drops. Just hear Jesus. I said, hear, hear Jesus. You know, if you get real convicted, just take some out, put some on Jesus. Just kind of smell up the place a little bit. You know, during revival, kind of smell it up. So everybody, everybody look around there. Mm, but it only smells good just for a little while. Because, man, that stuff's expensive. You know, that stuff called life. Kind of expensive. And once you break it, you just can't get it back. Can, can I tell you that if... Your life is really that precious to you. Just keep it yourself. I mean, really, if, if all the stuff you've got is just that important to you, just keep it all. Keep it all for yourself. But if you really mean business tonight, you'll break it. And you say, Jesus, you know, I've never done this, but, Lord, I'm going to anoint you with my life. It's the most precious thing I've got, and it's all that I've got. It may not be precious to anyone else. They may look at me and just laugh at me and the things that I have to offer because I don't have five talent or two. But Jesus is all I've got. And I'm going to anoint you because you're worthy. I'm going to anoint you, Jesus, because I know that I've been holding back and not giving you the best that I really could with my life. 
and I'm going to break of myself, and I'm going to be spent for you. See, the most priceless commodity that you have is your life. And I want to challenge you here that the Scripture tells us about a woman who simply did what she could. And the issue is not what you don't have. The issue is not about where you don't live and about how much money you would give if you just had it. All you've got is what you've got. And you need to say here this evening, God, I have allowed everything else to polarize me, but God, I'm going to break through and I'm going to come and bring my king everything that he's worthy to receive. And I'm going to capture today while it's still today. You want to capture this season of your life? You need to anoint Jesus with all that you've got right now. See, there's potential in this, in this sanctuary. But you have to make potential actual. And the way you make potential actual is that you surrender. And I want to challenge you here tonight. There's some people here that you've never done that. God will protect your right to give lavishly. He will protect your right to give lavishly. And you say, God, I've been digging holes. I've been making excuses for myself. See, there's musicians, there's bands, there's Sunday school teachers, there's ministry all over this assembly. Because that's what heaven has purpose for you to do. And you say, God, I had been holding back more than what I should. But, Lord, I come tonight and I'm going to anoint you with my life. Are you willing to do that here tonight? I said, are you willing to do that here tonight? Let's bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, we are here in the presence of the Almighty God. And maybe you've come this evening, you're not a Christian. We're not asking you to join the church. We're not asking you to sign up for some Bible classes. We're not asking you to put your name on the church mailing list so we can shoot you out some info on the church. You don't need any more information. What you need right here, right now, at this time, is salvation. I'm not here trying to be sensational. I'm not here trying to use scare tactics to get people saved. Because if the love of God can't draw you and compel you, there's very little that mere man can do. I'm simply a messenger bringing a message of hope. And the message of hope is it doesn't matter what you've done, where you come from, what depth of sin that you're in right now, there is a God of all grace who loves you more than life itself. He sent his son to die that you could be forgiven if you would but simply say, God, I need to be rescued. 